The following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, please visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. Lady went to see a psychiatrist. She said, Doctor, you got to help my husband. And the doctor said, What's wrong with him? She said, He thinks he's a racehorse. And the doctor said, how do you know? She said, well, he wants to live in a stable. He wants to walk around on his all fours, and he even eats hay. And the doc said, well, I'm sure I can cure him, but it'll take a long time and probably cost a tremendous amount of money. The lady said, well, money's no object. He's already won two races. (laughs) That boy's messed up in his mind. Mind games, mind games. In the book of Exodus chapter 1, I'm not going to take time to read the Read the lesson. But Joseph, the patriarch in Israel, Joseph dies. And a new Pharaoh comes to the throne. And meanwhile, meanwhile, while all this is happening, the Israelites are being blessed. The Hebrew people are being blessed. They are fruitful. They've increased. They've multiplied. They haven't just had additions. They have multiplied. They've waxed exceeding mighty. The land is filled with them. Joseph is gone. The legacy of his leadership and the godly leadership he brought is now also gone. And the new king slash Pharaoh is bothered. He can't sleep at night. There's not enough sleep aids for him to sleep at night. He states that some things are bothering him about these Israelites that are in the land of Goshen. Number one, he said the Israelites are mightier than the Egyptians. In other words, they're stronger than we are. They're mightier than us. We realize that. And he also knows that the Egyptians are outnumbered. Not only are they mightier than us, they outnumber us. Their number is larger than us. And the third thing he knows, that if the Israelites ever join forces with Egypt's enemies, that the Egyptians will be destroyed. He knows that. So he hatches this plan. He said, let's deal wisely with these people. Let's let's get smarter than they are. Yeah, mm -hmm. you're talking about the Hebrews there, big boy. Because they will multiply, and if we go to war, he said, they will win. Do you hear that? They will win. So he does two things. In the book of Exodus chapter 1, he puts taskmasters over them. And number two, he afflicts them with burdens. So he puts hardships over them, and then he, he makes them carry heavy weights. He afflicts them with burdens. And he did this, folks, for one reason. And here's the reason. He saw something in the Israelites that they did not see in themselves. He saw victors. They saw victims. He saw winners. They heard whining. History and the new king both declared that the Israelites did outnumber the Egyptians when they came out of the land of Egypt. But in Israel's mind, They were still the 70 family members that had come to Egypt at Joseph's bidding to escape the famine that was in Israel. It's amazing, folks, how they held on to their past. Yes, they grew in numbers, but not in their spirit of strength. A people dictated by their past held captive by yesterday. I think it's amazing, folks, that a king, a Pharaoh that did not even know anything about God, knew nothing about the God of Joseph, saw more in God's people than they did in themselves. 
The mind is the battleground of man. When Jesus died on the cross, he died at a place called Golgotha. It means simply the place of the skull. So the very first place that the blood of Jesus, the blood that redeems us, can you say amen to that? The blood that saves us, the blood that washes us white as snow. The first place that that blood dropped was on a skull, on a head, on something that was shaped like a skull. Because Jesus wanted our minds to never be trapped by what the world or the enemy said about us. But he wanted us to always be washed in the blood and be renewed and transformed by the renewing of our mind when the blood of Jesus is applied to us every time we walk in these doors. Amen. Two spies after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness were sent by Joshua to view the land of Canaan. And they came to Jericho and they were taken in by Rahab. Everybody say the harlot. Now, if a picture paints a thousand words, a word can paint a thousand pictures. She was not a good person. She was a madam. Not Rahab the saint. Not Rahab the prophetess. Not Rahab the divine, but Rahab who was a woman of ill fame. And the story is found in Joshua chapter two. And the king of Jericho found out where these two spies were and he sent men to question Rahab. And she lied and said the men were there but had left after dark about the time of the shutting of the gate. But she actually had hid them on the roof among the stalks of flax. Now I'm gonna read verses nine through 11 in just a moment because it's powerful words from a, from a harlot. And I know that word is hard for some people. It's a PG word in a church. And, and it would have been powerful from a child of God, but a woman of the world and in hell's clutches at that time said these words, verse nine through 11. I know the Lord has given you this land. Your terror has fallen already upon us. All the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did unto the two kings of the Amorites, Sihon and Og, and utterly destroyed them. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts did melt. We just melted away. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man in this country because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and he is God in the earth beneath. That's the word of the Lord. Here's Rahab's unasked question. I'm going to ask it for her. Where have you people been the last 40 years? Where have you been? 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 19 through 22, the ark of God is taken. It's a symbol of the presence of God. Hophni and Phinehas were sons of Eli and they're slain in battle. And Eli, when he hears that the ark is taken, falls over backward and breaks his neck. And his daughter-in-law is about to give birth to a child and she names that child Ichabod, which means the glory has departed. The daughter-in-law is given birth to a high priest, folks, that will minister in the presence of God. But by naming the child Ichabod, she's saying by her intellect, God is gone. Her body is delivering a baby. Her mind is dying. So the king of Egypt decides to deal wisely with the people of God. In other words, he uses propaganda. He lied to them about their awesomeness and their strength and their might. 
and he promoted negative thinking among them. He put taskmasters over them. And for all the purpose of them not seeing and attaining their desires, hear me today, you listen to this pastor, they could have walked out any time. I want to preach now. They could have left any time. They could have stood up and said, you know what? Ain't nobody got time for this. I smell smoke. It sounds like a, it smells like a fire. Somebody's barbecuing. They could have stood up and said, no more. I'm not taking this any longer. Can I declare to somebody in this house today that what God may be waiting on is what you're waiting on God to do for you. You want God to stand up on your behalf. Why don't you stand up on God's behalf? You want God to say, I'm going to be here for you. Why don't you stand up in your heart and say, I'm going to be there for you, God. Amen. There's people that are on addictions here today that if you just stand up and say no more. I'm tired of alcohol. I'm tired of drugs addiction. I'm tired of alcoholism. I'm tired of fighting all this. And you just stand up. You watch God step up. The prodigal son had to get aggravated where he was. And when he stood up, the father came running. Here's what I want to tell you. Sometimes you just got to stand up where you are and say no more. I'm going to stand for God because he has stood for me. Amen. They had the manpower. They had the God power. But they were absent of the mind power. You can never have all the God power. You can have all the God power, the manpower, but if you don't believe you can, you never will. Or as one person said, if you think you can, you're right. If you think you can, you're all can't, you're also right. And that's a fact. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 36 years ago, and I don't bring this to your attention because I wallow in it. I really don't. But 36 years ago on Monday, I buried half my family. My boy and my wife were killed by a drunk driver. And, and, and I buried them 36 years ago. And my wife, that God has given me, and we've been happily married for 35 years. After a year, God gave me a beautiful woman and some beautiful children. And I'm, I'm so excited. But, I, but I've got to share this. When I went home from the funeral on that Monday, when I went home from the funeral, I laid down on the bed and God gave me a word from 2 Corinthians 12 and 9, my grace is sufficient for you. And in your weakness, I am I'm made strong. And, and I, I, I could have laid there. Listen, I could have laid there. I could have laid there in that bed. I could have waited on God to come and do something. But all of a sudden, when God told me his grace would be sufficient, I knew I had to do something. I knew I had to get up out of my wallowing and my sympathy and my pity. And I had to stand on my own feet. And when I stood, God stood with me. And when I stood up, God said, I'm going to be here for you. See, here, here, here's the thing. And for the last 36 years of my life, I've been preaching about that God. God is not going to hand his blessings into the lap of laziness or into people's lives that don't even seek him. But the moment you seek him, he said, if you will, I will. If you'll walk to me, I'll walk toward you. In fact, if you start walking to him, he'll start running to you. If anybody's in a dilemma today, why don't you just stand up in your spirit and say, no more. I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to do this God thing. I'm going to do this church thing. I'm going to do this saintship thing. I'm going to do it. Paul said, I can do. Everybody say, I can do. do. All things things. through Christ Christ. who strengthens me. Look what it took to get them out. Ten plagues. The death of the firstborn in Egypt. 
the parting miraculously of the Red Sea. Pharaoh's army drowning and all the chariots sinking in that same sea. Literally, a miracle that was out of their hands to promote them to freedom. When the king knew in his heart, the king knew in his heart, they could have left any time they got ready to leave. This is not teaching, preaching against the miraculous here. We sang about it today. And what happened in Egypt was a type of salvation. But I put B-U-T dot, 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 infinity. I think sometime Israel is a prototype. We look for the outward miracle to do for us what a good mindset could accomplish. Don't get me wrong. But instead of looking to the miraculous, we need to remember something. We are the miracle. <laughs> Anybody know Jesus as your Lord and Savior today? Clap your hands real big. We are the miracle. We are the miracle. We are the miracle. Come on, I am a miracle. Say it, I am a miracle. I'm a miracle. How many do you need before you understand that God's walking with you? Several Sundays ago, my son-in-law and I went out to Big Spring. I went out to minister for a, a church anniversary for a particular pastor. And, and, and we saw all those windmills out there in West Texas. I looked over at, at Damon. I said, Damon, how many windmills do you have to see before you believe the wind's blowing? How many times does God have to touch you before you realize that God's with you? How many times do you have to walk into something and God walks you right through that thing before you understand God's with you? Can I preach to you right now? It's time for this church to have a stand up and not say, God, I need a miracle. I need a miracle. I need a job. Why don't you go require and ask for a job? Why don't you go get yourself educated? Why don't you pick yourself up and do something positive in your life? Because if you will, God will. If you'll stand, God will stand with you. That's the miracle. We are the miracle. We are the miracle. Paul writes, we're troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Wow, I love that. I love that. Mind games. Hell wants to play mind games. I read a book several years ago about a missionary in China named Yan. He was called the Heavenly Man. And I've told this story probably 10 years ago because I read the book a long time ago. But, you know, somebody told me at a, at a conference, at a growth conference, that if you, you need to tell your jokes every six months. And you need to tell stories because people that come in and don't hear those stories need to hear those stories. So I'm going to tell you a story that I've told before. And if you've heard it, don't jump to the conclusion with me, okay? Just, just hear it like you've heard it for the first time. But he was a part of an underground church, Brother Yon was. And three times he is arrested and put in prison. The first two times he was put in, they put him in the jail the first night and the door opened in the middle of the night. He just walked out. He just walked out. Well, thank you, Lord. Just walked out, started preaching the gospel again. So he gets arrested the second time. They put him back in jail <laughs> and they put him in a firmer jail. And this time they put guards around that jail on the first night. So he waits till the second night. Then God said, here, go on, get out of here. And he walks out again. So he's arrested the third time. When they arrest him the third time, they break his legs. They break both the fibula and the tibia of both, both legs. They break him down and they drag him into the cell, a brand new jail, a brand new cell that's impregnable. You can't get out of it. It's just going to be there. And the middle of the night of his broke leg night, the first night, God said, stand up, Jan, and walk out of here. I hear Puerto Rico in the house. 
Thank you, Sister Gloria. Hey, and he said, God, I got broke legs. He said, Jan, I'm telling you, stand up and walk out of here. He said, God, you don't understand. I got broken legs. And the Lord told him a third time, stand up and you'll go free. So Jan gets a hold of the sides of the prison wall and starts lifting himself up with his hands. And those dangly legs, those legs that are just free and swinging, no, no attention had been given to them. They're just going to let them heal crooked. All of a sudden, he put a little weight on him and the door opened and he started walking out like they'd never been broken before in his life. Here's what I'm telling you. Here's what I'm telling you. Sometimes, sometimes when you're waiting on a miracle, you need to understand you can stand on broken legs. You can do it. Sometimes you just have to stand on broken promises. Sometimes you have to stand on broken homes. Sometimes you have to stand on broken health. Sometimes you have to stand on broken dreams. Sometimes you have to stand on broken marriages. But whatever you do, don't let hell see you sitting down waiting for some kind of divine miracle to come. Walk out of your situation. Walk out of your dilemma. Walk out of your struggles and stand for God. It's an amazing thing what can happen when you decide to stand. Hell sees in your home what you don't see in your home. He sees that child that you think is stubborn. He's actually going to be used of God and not get kicked around by the world when he grows up. He sees that determined daughter who will stand for right when given a chance and she'll do the right thing. He sees that daydreaming boy will someday write songs and sermons and challenge people to live for God. I'm going to put this on the screen. I'm going to explain it. Just because Nazareth existed did not stop Jesus from being Jesus. They didn't believe in him. He could do no great miracles there except that he healed some people. But just because they existed did not stop him from being who he was. Just because you live in Austin doesn't need to stop who you are. Because you live in a society and a home that does not embrace the, the love of Jesus Christ doesn't stop who you are. Every morning when you get up, you get up saying, Jesus is my Lord. He's my Savior. Come on, stand for the Lord today. Stand for him. Because I promise you, when you start standing up, God will start standing up for you. I believe that with all of my heart. Clap your hands real big. I'm trying, I'm trying my best today to get us to, to grasp this dream. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Paul said, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may know what is the acceptable and perfect will of God. You got to know it. Zig Ziglar is one of, one of my favorite or was one of my favorite all-time speakers of all time. See you at the top. Keep priming the pump. I used to love his statements. I preached him. I, I, I wished I had his hair, but I don't, but I preached him. <laughs> but one time my, my brother-in-law called Zig. It was kind of funny. He called him at his office and Zig Ziglar's secretary answered and, and she said, can I help you? He said, yes, I'd like to say something real positive to Zig Ziglar. She said, well, you know, he's the positive man. And he said, yes, ma'am, I know it, but I got something to tell him. And so she said, okay. Ask who he was, and I'm a pastor in Houston, yada, yada. So she, she let him on. She realized he wasn't a kook. Let him on. So Zig picks up the phone. Hello. He said, is this Zig? Did I actually get to you? He said, yeah, this is me. 
He said, Zig, I want to tell you, the world's around. There's a lot of people on it. You're right up there at the top. That's all I got to say. And Zig said, you know, I needed that. I needed that in my life. You know, everybody needs somebody to tell them they're doing good. Everybody needs to tell them that everything's going to be all right. Folks, when you got Jesus, it can't go wrong. When you got the Lord in your life, it just can't go wrong. It may look like it's going wrong, but it can't go wrong. You need to keep standing for the Lord because it don't matter what happens to you. It doesn't matter what bogs you down. Don't you ever wait for some miraculous thing to be in your life. You just stand up and watch God stand up with you. It's kind of like, it's kind of like that old man, 92 years old, was getting married and went to see his doctor. He said, doctor, I'm getting married. He said, who are you marrying? He said, a 20-year-old woman. And the doctor said, you know, that, 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 could, that could cause death. You know, that, would, that could be tough on you. It'd be tough on, tough on the marriage. He said, doctor, it doesn't matter if she dies. I'm going to marry her anyhow. <laughs> I love people that understand even at 92. I went to a birthday party yesterday in Dripping Springs of a 95-year-old woman, 95 years old. And she wanted to dance with me. 95, and when I sat down to eat my fruit and all the stuff they had for the, for the birthday party, a woman sitting across, I said, honey, how old are you? She said, 101. And I said, how do you do it? She said, I get up happy every day. You know why? Because she's not waiting on God to do something for her. She's going to stand up and do something for God. And it's time for this church to understand what we're doing here. We're going to build a kingdom of God in this house. We're going to build a brand new house of God. We're going to build a bigger place so we can reach more people because God has promised us a 10,000 soul revival right here at Christian Life Austin. Do you believe that in your heart? Do you accept that and receive that in your spirit today? I believe that. I believe that. So we're going to see it. We're going to ha- it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Earl Stanley Jones said, if you don't make up your mind, then your unmade mind will unmake you. There's a word that I learned out in West Texas called dallying. We just dally around. The more you dally, the more there's likely to be a Trojan horse that'll get inside and open the gates to the enemy. We can't dally. God's given us a commission. God's given us a charge. Two weeks ago, you saw the beautiful church that God wants us to build and wants us to grow. You saw that it has... 1,500 seats right now, and we've got room to put another probably 200 seats in it. And it's going to more than double what we do here on Sunday. And I'm so excited about it. In Tulsa, I want you all to get excited because God's going to do the same thing. That Tulsa church is locked on to another church that that church is not doing real well. And the pastor wants to quit and wants the church to probably be taken over by the pastor of the new church that's there. Did you get that? So what I'm saying is God's doing the same thing in Tulsa. Tulsa, be be strong. Stand strong because God is with you and God's for you. Amen. Amen. God can do anything for a man who has a made-up mind. He can do very little for a man that does not think that he can. God give this church the right mental attitude. God's given us a purpose. He's given us a purpose. Let us feel the purpose. Let us achieve the purpose. We can achieve. We really can. We can overcome. We can win. We can be triumphant. Two quick stories and I'm out of here because I don't preach long. If it's boring, I, I'm, I'm through in a little while. I don't try to get old if it's not there. There was, a, there was a doctor named Rachel Raymond. 
told about a 24-year-old young man who had to have one of his legs amputated because of bone cancer. And he was fitted with a prosthetic, and he was very bitter about life. And so they couldn't, they couldn't, they took him to psychiatrists and psychologists, and they couldn't, they couldn't get him, couldn't get him over his situation. He was a man that used to love to dance. He loved to dance. And uh, they even got an art therapy, and, and they asked him to draw his picture of his life, and he drew this big old vase, had a huge crack right down the middle of it, and he said, that crack is my life. I'm just, I'm a cracked vase. That's me. Later on, I might add to the rest of the story, he painted a big old yellow streak down there, and he said, you know what? I'm not a cracked vase anymore. The sunshine's coming out. I love that because God dwells on the inside. And so one day a doctor came by and said, hey, hey, son, here's what you need to do. I want you to go around and start encouraging people around you. I want you to go to every room because all these people are living the same kind of life you are. And they're, and they're, they're devastated. They're overwhelmed. And so he gets out on his crutches and that prosthetic and he goes to the first room. And there's a young lady there who's had a double mastectomy because of cancer of the breast. And he walks in on those crutches and he sits down and he says, I'm here to encourage you. And I'm not real happy myself. And she said, well, I, you know, I used to sing in a church choir and I don't, I don't sing anymore. I just don't feel like I can sing anymore because of what's happened to me. And he said, caused him to get up. He said, he got up, he got up from where he was. And he said, he put down his crutches and he started dancing on that prosthetic, just dancing for, you know, just doing a little dance for, just having a good time. And she got tickled. Because he pulled that prosthetic off and started dancing on one leg. Just having a time. And she got so tickled that she started singing the song that he was dancing to. And she sat up in the bed and he's dancing on one leg and she's singing because she said, I got to sing. If he can dance, I got to sing. And in a moment they hugged and you know the rest of the story. A prosthetic where married a cancer survivor. That's how it ends. Here's what I'm telling you, folks. Here's what I'm telling you. It doesn't matter what happens in your life. It does not matter. We've got to stand up and do something for God in this hour. Some refugees were leaving a country. Randy, if you'll help me, I'd appreciate it. Leaving a country one day. And they were trying to flee because war was tearing the country up. And as they were leaving... A little woman, a little frail lady holding a baby came up and said, can we go with you? We'd like to get out of this country also. And they said, I don't know. I don't know. Can you keep up? She said, I believe I can. There was an old man with her, very old. So what about him? Said, well, he's with me. And said, do you, can you keep up, old man? He said, well, I think I can. And the leader said, if you can't, we're not going to stay. We're going to keep going because we're not going, we're not going to worry about you. You understand that tough-headed leader, tough-minded leader. And so they started walking out and sometime they'd run. They'd look back every now and then and see the little woman, the little, little young lady carrying the baby and the old man struggling and stumbling and grabbing trees and trying to hold on and go forward. And then in a little while, somebody said, Captain, they've stopped. They've stopped. The old man is down. He's fallen. And the captain went back there and said, Sir, if you don't get up and follow us, we're going to have to leave you. And one guy said, no, we can't, we can't leave him. He said, let me carry him. He said, no, we're not going to carry anybody. Everybody's got to do their own thing. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the little mother took that baby and said, get up, sir. Carry my baby. And when he picked that baby and put that baby in his arm, all of a sudden he had purpose. And he said, go on. I can make it now. 
And they'd look back and he'd be stumbling and staggering and smiling at that baby because he was carrying something and he made it out of that country because he had a hold of purpose. Listen to this pastor. We've got a purpose in this city. God called us here for a king to the kingdom for such a time as this. And we have purpose here. And with the help and the grace of God, we're going to name that baby John. We're going to have a magnificent house of God. And we're going to beat the devil's mindset to us. We're going to stand strong and say we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So here's my sermon to you today. Here's what I'm telling you. Whenever we have purpose in our life, we discover a wellspring of strength and courage that we thought we never had. We discover purpose. So we learn to dance with artificial limbs. We sing with breast cancer. We carry a child though we're old and frail. Purpose brings mindset. Help this pastor build a new worship center. Get a purpose in your life also. It's the one campaign. Every one of us reach one. Everybody, a coworker. A schoolmate, a college professor, somebody, someone that works at the bank, reach somebody. Everybody reach somebody because God is going to fill the house as we are building the house. Somebody say, Pastor, how far along are we? A long way. We're moving. We're not standing still. We've already met with the engineers. We've already met with the bank president who wants our business. God has shown us favor in our city already. And I believe with the help of this church, we're going to stand strong. Next Sunday, the campaign, uh, the one campaign. Next Sunday, we're going to be talking about the one campaign here next Sunday. Because God is with us. And if God be for us, who can be against us? Amen. And the miracle is in the house right now. It's you. It's you. It's me. We're the miracle. Clap your hands all over the house. Stand and receive the word of God. Stand up receive the word of the Lord here today.